Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's Book. Welcome to this week's episode of Chris Reed's Book. I'm Chris Pullman, your uh, resident author. Thank you for tuning in again this week. Hope you had a happy Thanksgiving if you're in the U.S. If you're outside of the U.S., hope you had a uh, happy November the 24th. <laughs> uh, this week, I'll be reading one chapter out of my second book, Martian Reporter, Humanity's New Hope. And it is entitled, The Dreams 2. Let's get right into it. Jim woke with a start, sitting straight up on the sleeping mat. His heart rate was high. Really high. He could tell he was in a cold sweat. All at once, thanks to James Christopher's ability, his nightmare rushed back on him. Of all the side effects of the multitude of abilities James Hall now possessed, this was perhaps the worst so far. Instead of waking dreams slowly coming back to him, one piece at a time, they came all at once, as a memory that already existed. The impact of that on nightmares was horrifying, and this one was worse than any others yet. There he was, chaos, wrapped in a shroud of darkness, standing in power of the government. He raised his arms, spreading them out. Everything around him burst into conflict and suffering. There were screams, terrible scenes surrounding Jim, horrible wounds and walking casualties struggling, struggling to get away from the fight. The old, the young, all were bloodied and maimed, and on they marched. Like drones, the soldiers of chaos marched with weapons blazing. Their fire took control, took people down indiscriminately. Who could oppose such a force? The government was under Chaos's thumb, and even if they weren't, they had no real army. The more soldiers appeared, the more Onyx Black grew Chaos's entire being. He fed on the power of his troops, as he had once before. Knowing he would get no more sleep, Jim rose, dressed, and went down into Eric's sub-basement, his workshop. The last time Jim had been down there had been with Eric during their interviews. Looking around the lab, he saw so much more than he had then. On one table was a crude form of a wrist-mounted plasma weapon. Oddly, it seemed to lack a power source. Slightly down from it sat what had to be a personal shield generator. Turning the device over in his hands, Jim recognized the base architecture as a melding of Melinda and Adam's genius, a full projectile barrier. As he studied it, Schematics showed themselves in his mind's eye. The minute circuitry involved in the precise use of quantum flux necessary to coax a proper charge differential a specified distance beyond the body's natural magnetic field. It highly ionized the air around a person. Its limitation would only be the power supply, which, again, seemed to be completely absent. Not in the way that it had never been installed, but rather that there was no place for a power source. Reviewing his memories, or rather that, the other memories, 
of being an elite, Jim knew such a person would not need either device. No, full nanitic would have such natural protection and weapons as part of his symbiosis. Setting the belt-mounted device down, Jim turned to the next item on the workbench. This he recognized immediately as well, but for an entirely different reason. It was a gravimetric dilation device, but designed as some sort of grenade. Its intention was clear. Throw it into a group of enemy soldiers and create a locally dense gravity well, and slow their movement. This one clearly had an integrated power source. Jim could feel the reagents through the casing. It was a single-use weapon. So what better power source than a tiny matter-antimatter reactor? It would work like a camera flash, producing a large amount of energy immediately. It could immobilize an entire squad for hours. Next on Eric's bench was an oddity. No matter how much Jim searched the other memories, he could pull forward nothing on its purpose. It had some similar properties to a gravity well generator, but included extra modules and components. Jim replaced it carefully. A strange pulling sensation began at the back of his mind. It wasn't Melinda's ability, as hers was more of a whole head tug. This was directional. Turning, he walked carefully around the monolithic obelisk that stood in the middle of the lab. With his nanetically enhanced senses, he could now see exactly how the thing fluctuated in and out of three-dimensional space, how it shook and flexed and so absorbed power. There on the front wall of the lab was a workbench Jim recognized from some of the other's oldest memories. It was entirely dedicated to nanites. Eric had lied to Jim. He had been working on nanites. But searching the other memories, Jim could find none of Eric having done so. You wouldn't, came James Christopher's reply. It was in Jim's head. It was not in Jim's head, but actually spoken from his mouth. It sounded to him exactly as it had to James during life, which was an odd change from what Jim's voice normally sounded like. Why not? Jim asked. He had to keep it a secret. One thing we all agreed upon was that we had to systematically lock Chaos's mind from the knowledge of nanitic technology, just in case he ever regained physical form. As it had been more and more the last few weeks, Jim's mind scraped together pieces of information all by itself. He was the one, then, in our interviews, who drove Eric to push me, my mind, into questioning him about nanites. Indeed, James replied, it gave him a way into the knowledge he knew we were denying him. How much did he get? Jim asked, fearing the answer. Too much, but thankfully not enough. What do you mean? He gleaned enough to be able to replicate nanites, but not enough to be able to alter their base programming. But something like forcing obedience isn't base programming and basic combat tactics is. So he still has enough to begin rebuilding an army. Right, but not one of nanitics, only pseudo-nanitics. That'd still be enough in this day and age, where standing armies don't exist. True, to an extent. What's really worth considering is, since Chaos does have control over a nanitically enhanced body, what would happen if he was able to reverse-engineer what he needed for full nanitics? But 
One of you is still missing from the others, one of the progenitors. Righto. He's no doubt trying his best to keep Chaos from getting that information. The real advantage we still have from that, though, is the powers Chaos does not yet possess. Since all of you are with me, Jim said, all he has are his and Eric's abilities, James finished. But if he were to be in close enough proximity to me, Jim said, letting the implication hang there. Being the ultimate repository of nanetic abilities, he would be the quickest route for Chaos to regain all his lost abilities. Hopefully, we would be able to prevent that, James said, and even if he could get close enough, remember that all he can take are shadows of abilities. You are something that has never existed before, that we wouldn't allow to exist as long as Chaos was among us. You are a pure form of all possible nanitic abilities. So was Eric working with nanitics in case Chaos started being able to rebuild an army? Not exactly, James replied. Jim's mind went over what he had seen. The shield belt, the wrist plasma weapon, this nanite station. Eric was working on weapons technology for rearmament. He was aiming to bring Atmo out of the ashes. But full elites wouldn't need external shielding and weaponry. A faint memory came to Jim of another workbench, such as this one, looking as though it were part of a lab. It was somewhere on Earth, or at least had been when they left during the exile. But there was something else, too. Not all of the nanites used to help Flora on the vegetable arc readapt to Earth self-terminated, did they? No, James replied, a teacher's pride coming through in his voice. And so they kept replicating in the plants. And so people have been eating nanite-infested plants for generations. That's very true, James said. We knew it could happen but figured that they would simply be passed and expire naturally. But you four programmed them to be adaptive, to always evolve according to environment, so... They learned how to help plants grow bigger, healthier, resist diseases. And when humans then ate the plants? James asked. Just like viruses. Not all the nanites were destroyed during digestion. Some survived and evolved and bonded with humans. The implications hit Jim like a brick. Some of the modern-day human population is nanetically enhanced, but not how we originally intended. They have no battle capabilities, no back knowledge, since they came from a different strain of nanites than our original. Those humans are everything you said. They live longer, are healthier, learn and can more quickly synthesize new information, better than vanilla humans. How many are we talking? Jane, Jim asked. Initially, perhaps one-tenth of one percent. That would still be hundreds of thousands of humans? Jim said in quiet shock. Initially. But just as with the plants, they would have passed on their nanites to their progeny along with their DNA. And so two become four. Four become eight become 16, and over generations, 
that exponential growth rate means that by now there are millions. Correct. By accident, by chance, we did what we had set out to do from the very beginning. Help humans by nanitic means. Though we didn't figure it out until recently, James replied. Jim looked at the end of the bench. There was a modern-day version of what he knew to be a teller. Eric built it when he and the few remaining nanetics were still trying to revive nanite tech. That was over a hundred years ago, Jim breathed, and it went nuts. They could not figure it out at first. Once they did, it was one reason that they let the research get mothballed, and one reason that the final few elites let go, James said softly. And knowing what it meant... Eric began modifying nanite battletech in case it was needed again, James said, feeling the weight of the knowledge. Eric knew it was possible that Chaos would again get an army, possibly of nanitics. If that happened, this would be the answer. Suddenly, Jim felt presences he hadn't before. Tammy and Nick were on Mars. It had only been two days since he had last talked to them on Earth. Knowing that they would be at the house within the day, Jim had to prepare. He could feel James's agreement as he again faded into the background. Walking back through the lab, Jim's mind began piecing together what just what he would need to mass-manufacture the equipment needed for Atmo to rise again. Returning to the kitchen, Jim put together a modest meal of soup accompanied by a loaf of French bread. As the soup bubbled and the bread rose, Jim prepared himself for the meeting. He could feel the small entourage of sensors approaching. James was certainly right about his abilities. There had never been an anetic light him, and likely never would be again. There couldn't ever be again. Nick's rather nondescript two-vehicle convoy pulled up before the house. From the bay window, Jim watched as Tammy, Nick and others gathered on the sidewalk. The cars pulled away as they walked up the path to the door. Nick, so nice to meet you in person, Jim said, gesturing through the door inside. Mechanical locks, Nick mentioned while studying the house. Unique. But then again, this was the house of a very unique man. Nick was shorter than Jim had expected. Still, he stood about 1.93 meters tall. With his nanetically enhanced senses, Jim could have marked his height down to the nanometer. Don't you think you're all being a bit conspicuous? Jim asked, motioning at their clothes. Anyone with eyes could tell the difference between Earth and Mars fashion trends. And even while sensors had dress codes, they had to at least partially blend with the populace. On Mars, though, Nick's groups stuck out like sore thumbs. We left Earth almost immediately after we finished talking, Nick said with a slight smirk. Tammy, you know, he said, indicating a woman, with, were it not up in sensor-style hairdo, flowingly gorgeous dark brown hair, complemented by resplendent brown eyes. She reached out, shaking Jim's hand. What are you? Jim said with a grin, tilting his head and wrinkling his brow slightly. The department's label for my kind is Infiltrator. 
not so much a description of, of ability as much as its use, admittedly. Her voice was soft yet strong, and yet Jim was also aware that it didn't sound to him as it did to everyone else. Lexi, Jim said, pleasure to meet you. Over her shoulder, Lexi said to Nick, Thanks for the heads up about that. Releasing her hand, Jim turned his attention to the other member of the party. After quickly sizing the man up, he said, Tau Clan. Five hundred years of ethnic melding had erased some of the more distinctive features that delineated people such as Japanese, Chinese, Koreans, and Hmong from one another. But for someone of Jim's memories and old knowledge, the distinctive characteristics were still there. Yes, James. In fact, by an ancient definition, I would call Meng my uncle, the man replied. Well, George, Jim said, sticking out his hand as he spoke in Meng's voice. A pleasure. As they shook, Jim felt it. This man had no innate special abilities, as did Lexi, Tammy, or Charles. Even so, he did possess something they did not. Jim quickly looked at Charles and searched his mind. There was nothing there to indicate that he knew George carried nanites within him. Jim delved deeper for a split second, letting James's and Melinda's abilities coalesce in a search for information. The department merely thought that George had very good instincts, which was why he was valuable enough to bring along today. Releasing George's hand, Jim motioned at the dining room, saying, If you'll hang up your coats, I'll bring out some food. The fact that the department didn't know about George seemed to confirm that Eric had not yet given the teller technology to the censors, that he had simply been developing it for a time which had not yet come. As Jim brought out bowls of soup adorned with bread, he felt that such a time would swiftly approach. And that is the end of scrolling up, scrolling up, scrolling up of this episode where I read The Dreams, part two. Uh, I will admit that might not seem like a very descriptive name or at least a fitting name to this chapter, but um, largely I put chapter names on these while I'm writing with the intention of the chapter dealing with that before I write it. And in my mind, uh, tapping into James, tapping into Melinda, tapping into uh, Jim's others, the progenitors and all the other members of Atmel that live within his mind, deals with some of the same things as uh, we saw in the chapter, The Dreams, or The Dream. So that's why I titled it that way. That was the intention, and then it kind of uh, got, you know, 10 degrees off of there. But that's okay. If you enjoyed listening to me, and you would like to listen to more of the chapters that I recorded out of either this book or uh, my first novel that I recorded, those are all available as raw MP3 files on my website, narclaninc.com, that's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C.com. Click on the podcast link, 
go to the Chris Reads book page, and they're all right there. Also on that page are links out to my Twitter, my Facebook, and there's a link that you can click that will open up uh, via whatever email client you have a new email directly to me. I thank you for listening, uh, for putting up with my uh, somewhat self-indulgence in reading my book, and uh, I would ask that if you did enjoy this podcast, this chapter, or any of the other chapters, please let me know that you're listening. If you want to help support my efforts at making uh, more content for you, the best way you could do that is by sharing this podcast, these episodes, with somebody you know. For November, I have been working on a new novel. Uh, If I'm able to finish that up before the end of the year, I might take a break from uh, this book and uh, maybe start reading that one. It's it, it uses the 2016 presidential outcome as of November uh, and what that did to the California or yes California or Cal Exit movement as a backdrop to to tell a story about a group of friends. So uh, we'll see where that ends up. Thank you again for tuning in. Have a good day, and we'll uh, see you next time.